And good morning. Again, I want to say that it is a privilege always to be a part of our worship service on Sunday mornings. Wind Baptist Church, I believe, is one of the great places to worship in all of Arkansas, and I'm grateful that you are here. As you sit here this morning, I want you to know that we have been praying for you, that there are people who have been praying uh, during the week. Uh, we had men that were praying this morning for this service time. And so I hope that you've come expecting that God is going to speak to you, that He has a word for you. And with that expectation in your heart, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that when we call on you, we have assurance that you hear us when we ask according to your will. And for the dear one that's here coming, seeking, hungry, thirsting, for a word from you, we pray, Father, that you would answer their cry. Teach us now from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message is Grace is Never Fair. Grace is Never Fair. For the last several weeks, we've been studying in the book of Jonah. And here we are. We're on the very edge of Thanksgiving week. And we're going to uh, study today and then next Sunday. Uh, we will finish our study in Jonah. And so we have been uh, giving our attention to that. As you have prepared for Thanksgiving, our church has done several things uh, to get ready. We, of course, have, have prayed for you. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had dozens of teams that went out and delivered food boxes that you prepared. And I know Mike will probably say a word about that at the very end and, and give thanks for you. But I want to thank you as your pastor for the investments that you have made to encourage people during the Thanksgiving season, to let them know something of the love of God and the love of God's people. So I want to bless the Lord for you in that way. Little Johnny and his family for Thanksgiving went to their grandmother's house, and all the relatives were gathered there. And as he was sitting there and they served him his plate, he immediately began to eat. His mother was horrified. She said, Johnny, you know you shouldn't do that before we pray. We always pray at home before we eat. And he said, well, that's what we do at home, but we're at grandma's house and she knows how to cook. <laughs> you know, little ones always make Thanksgiving special. As we study in the book of Jonah and we get ready to think about Thanksgiving week, I, I think it's really appropriate that we're talking uh, exclusively about grace today. Grace is never fair. As we've studied Jonah, we've seen how the Word of God came to him in chapter 1, and he didn't like what he heard, and so he began to run away from God. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Those were people that weren't worthy of God's grace. He didn't want to see them forgiven, and so he runs, and God pursues Jonah. He sends a great storm. He sends a great fish. And Jonah's literally arrested by the power of God. And Jonah gets a second chance. And, and God sends him to Nineveh. And, and, and God has this great revival. We saw this last week that occurs. And nearly a whole city comes to God. One of the great revivals in the Old Testament by a simple eight-word prophetic message that he preaches. And the whole city turns has to be, in, a, in, a, in the life of a prophet, the greatest moment of Jonah's life. This was what Jonah was made for. This was the great moment in his life. And was he happy about it? No. In chapter 4, verse 1, 
we see very clearly Jonah was not happy. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah is struggling with what God has done. And I wonder if you struggle maybe the same way with the grace of God. Because there's times where the wisdom of God doesn't seem wise to us. There are times when the love of God doesn't seem good to us. There are times when the grace of God doesn't seem right to us. Why do we struggle with grace? That's the question we want to explore today because that's where Jonah is, and I believe that's where some of us are this morning. Why do we struggle with grace? Number one, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. We, we read verse 1, but if you go to the very last verse of chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 10, this is what we read. Then God saw their works, this is talking about the people of Nineveh, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So God is very pleased. Jonah is very displeased. When he saw what God did, Jonah was infuriated. Literally, it's saying it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. It was not amazing. It was not wonderful. It was not good. How could God forgive these people? He was letting them literally get away with murder. Well, obviously, what's going on in God's mind and heart is very different than what's going on in Jonah's mind and heart. And so, I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. Because I think this is where a lot of us live. Even if you're not a Christian, you tend to live this way. We tend to carry in our minds and our hearts a way of evaluating ourselves and others. And this is what Jonah was doing. Jonah was looking at the people in Nineveh, and he was, he was enumerating their sins. He was thinking about all of the things they had done wrong. And you'll remember from our previous studies, these people were particularly vicious. They liked to cut off body parts of people that they had conquered. They, they did the most unspeakable, horrible things to people physically while they were still living. They made dying an art form, and they made it literally art on the walls of their buildings and on their, their, um, their homes. And they were very proud of it. And so if you think of, of their wrongs and, and you put a number to it, let's say you could count everything that these people did wrong and come up with a number like 25 trillion. I don't know if that's anywhere close to all the things I did wrong. I'm not even sure that's close to everything I've done wrong. But we come up with a number and we see all the things that people do wrong. And then we compare that to what we do right. And in Jonah's mind... At the very best, the only thing these people ever got right, they got right one time. 
they repented. Now, that's how Jonah is keeping score. Jonah's looking at the situation from that perspective. And that's the way a lot of us look at our own lives. We struggle with grace, really experiencing the forgiveness of God because we see our lives this way. Some of you are sitting here today and you've never fully experienced the grace of God because you see, I did 25 trillion things wrong and I still do things wrong and the only thing I ever did get right was say yes to Jesus. And, and you're carrying that with you. Now, for Jonah to look at that scenario and say God forgives them the 25 trillion things they did wrong and in my mind he's thinking they only did one thing right, that's absurd, that's outrageous. There's no way, there's no logic to that. There's no way that that can be the way it ought to be. And so he runs. But, but here's the deal. Here's the thing that you and I have to understand, if I don't knock this off of here, is that God has a whole different way of looking at you and me. We look at our record. We look at the records of others. God is looking at our relationship. He's looking in our relationship. Am I related to God rightly? Have I turned to Him? Have I turned away from my 25 trillion things that I've done? Have I turned to Him? That's all He sees. God focuses on the person's relationship with Him. So here's a question. Why is grace so outrageous to Jonah and to you and to me? Because, and here's a statement, God does not keep score. God doesn't keep score. When, when you're without Christ, you're, you're already hopelessly lost and cut off and, and, and hell-bound and without hope in this world. I mean, there's no reason to keep score. The game is over. But God doesn't keep score. We say, look how many bad things they have done. God's saying, look how they are turning to me. This is why Jesus was so heavily criticized when he's preaching and teaching, and it says all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him. He wasn't keeping score. He shared salvation with the woman at the well. And we, we portray that as a lovely story of a, a man talking to a woman in a culture where men didn't do that. But you've got to remember, she wasn't just any woman. She was a woman who'd been married five times and was living with a man at that moment. Jesus Jesus did not keep score in the relationship with that woman. He didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery. He didn't keep score with her. He's, he offered salvation to a thief who is dying on the cross who has no opportunity to get anything right except to say, God, save me. He didn't keep score with the thief. How many things did that thief do wrong? He saved a terrorist named Paul who killed and persecuted Christians, divided families, imprisoned parents, took children away. God didn't keep score with Paul. And he'll do the same thing for you. He's not looking at your record. He's looking at your life and he's saying, will that man, will that woman, will that boy, will that girl, will they turn to me? Will they turn away from life without me? Will they turn away from their sin? Will they turn to me? Will they seek me? That's all the Ninevites ever got right. And the grace of God, when we see that, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Number two, why do we struggle with grace? Well, it's not only outrageous, it's also unfair. 
in the second part of verse 2, or the first part of verse 2, he says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. Now, what's interesting about that verse is he refers to something that he said when God first spoke to him in chapter 1 that we don't have any record of. Do you see that? He says, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? What happens if you go back to chapter 1 is God speaks to Jonah, and he immediately gets up, it says he arises, and runs. There's no record of what he said. But he apparently said something. Here's the first word to Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, the moment God said that to Jonah, Jonah knew that Nineveh was in trouble. He's a prophet, man of God. But when he said the, their wickedness, their sinfulness, their actions, their 25 trillion things that they've done, it's coming up to me. And, and, and the moment that that message came to Jonah and that he was to go and preach to them, he knew that were, there were certain dynamics that were in effect. For example, he knew their days were numbered. He didn't, he didn't know what he was going to finally preach yet, but he knew that their, their days were numbered. Why? Because they were reaching the legal limit of sin. You know, there is a limit to what God will permit you to do against him and against his word and against his will. God will only let you run so far and for so long. There is a limit on what he'll allow a nation to be and to do before he draws a line and says, they have reached the limit, and the cry is coming up to me, and this city, this nation is about to go down. Now, he understood that dynamic. He understood that God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament, and he said, look, your descendants are going to go off in a foreign land. They're going to be there 400 years. I'm going to bring them back, and the reason we're doing this time frame is they're going to be blessed. They're going to learn some things. They're going to come out of Egypt with all of this wealth. All that's going to take place, but here's the deal. The sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. They have not reached their legal limit of sin, and, and you as an individual, you have a limit, we even read about Christians having a limit. And when Christians are rebellious, when Christians are running from God, he says some will sleep, Paul says to the Corinthians. There's a limit. And, uh, and so it's very good to recognize that. It's good to know that because I need to take sin seriously. I don't need to play around with sin. I need to be in a war with sin in my life because there is a limit. And the day's coming and time is short. So Jonah hears this message and he's saying, all right, yes, Nineveh is about to go down. And he doesn't want them to turn to God. He doesn't want them because of the 25 trillion things. He wants that, that thing that God is about to do to Nineveh. He wants that to happen. It's not fair that God would withhold his judgment. And he knew there was a possibility. The very fact that God was going to send a prophet to warn them means that there was a possibility it might not happen if they repented. And that was simply not fair. Jonah was saying, that's just too much grace. Too much grace. Why? Well, here's a statement I want you to jot down. Grace seeks my transformation, not my condemnation. Grace seeks my transformation, not my condemnation. Jonah didn't want to go because he wanted them gone. 
But God wanted them to go because he knew they might change. God's patient with you and I for this reason. That's why the hammer doesn't fall every time you and I sin. That's why there's nobody sitting here today that has experienced the full judgment of God for their sin. There is a day of judgment. There is a time where it's heaven or hell. There is a time where we are judged, and that day is coming where our scorecard will bury us. But God doesn't want to deal with the score, does he? And he is patient with you and me because he knows that you and I can change if we will turn to him. That if I will trust him, he'll forgive me for my sins. If I will trust him, he'll put a new nature in me that will change me and make me a different kind of man. That if I trust him, he will take me to heaven when I die. Peter explains it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. You know, why hasn't Jesus come back already? Why hasn't Jesus come back already? Why didn't he come back in the Middle Ages? Why didn't he come back in the early church when they were being persecuted so heavily? Why hasn't he come back within the last hundred years when more Christians have died for their faith than any other time in history? Why hasn't he come back? He says it right here. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the only reason Jesus hasn't come back yet. He wants you to change. He wants me to change. He wants everyone you know to be forgiven and to know him and to repent. God would much rather change you than condemn you. He is not waiting for you to fall. God takes no pleasure in the death of an evil or a wicked man. And he's working in the events and the people around you so that you might change. He was willing to send a prophet to Nineveh so they would change. He's also working on Jonah, but we'll see that in just a moment. Why do we struggle with grace? It's outrageous, it's unfair, and then thirdly, it's offensive. Grace can be offensive. In verse 2 again, it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now, if you've been with us since I've been here, you'll remember that, that in the fall, two years ago, we studied a, a couple of verses in Exodus 34 where Moses said, show me your glory, and God said, I will proclaim my name before you, and he spoke these words. You remember that? What God wants you to know about him he recorded in Exodus 34, I think it's verses 6 and 7. And, and he said this, and these words, these descriptive words, were God's way of describing himself. And, and it shaped the entire understanding of a people in the Old Testament regarding who is God. And Jonah knew this. And he's quoting that passage when he says this. I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness. How does he know that? Because God said that's who he is. God said, this is who I am. And here's Jonah. And uh, the first time God speaks to him, he runs and he flees to get away from going to these people in Nineveh because he wants them to get their scorecard. He wants them to get what they deserve. And God sends the wind and God sends the fish and he expels Jonah and he re-ups on his mission and he goes and he preaches this message 
that judgment is imminent. And then God watches and the people hear the message and it says they believed God, not Jonah. It says they believed God in chapter 3 and the whole city repented. And you know what Jonah does? I knew you were going to do that. God, I knew you were going to do that. That's just like you. And I didn't want you to do that. It's almost comical. I knew you were going to do that, God. That's just the way you are. That's the kind of person you are. God's grace is big. And sometimes it can be offensive when God saves a people like the people of Nineveh. And who are your Ninevites? Who are the people around you that would kind of disappoint you if they got saved? You say, I don't know anybody like that. Really? Really? Is there somebody you won't talk to because you don't like them? Is there somebody you won't spend time with because you don't like them? Is there somebody when you see them walking down the hall, you turn around walk the other way? You got Ninevites, friend. You got a bunch of them. Is there somebody that you're talking about behind their back, criticizing them, someone that you're tearing down? Is there someone that you can't stand to be around? Someone you can't stand to be with? You got Ninevites. And when God blesses them, do you rejoice? Or do you go, God, I wish you wouldn't do stuff like that. God's grace is big, and it doesn't just belong to special people. Why? Because, and here's the statement, grace flows from who God is. Grace flows from who God is, and it has nothing to do with me. It's not about me. Everything related to grace, everything we're talking about, when God saves a human life and he gives them this gift of salvation, it is grace. It's something unconditionally given. It's given not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we're special, but because of who God is, not because of who I am. And you know what? That is offensive. That is offensive. Because for me to say that, what grace does is it removes all kind of excuses from my life. It means that I'm guilty. If God had to give me grace, it means I'm guilty. It's like the old preacher that told a group of kids one time, said, what, what do you have to do to be forgiven by God? One little kid raised their hand and they said, you have to sin. You have to sin to be forgiven by God. For me to receive God's grace, I've got to admit that I'm a sinner. And that's offensive, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to admit that. I don't want to admit that I've messed up. I don't want to admit that, that there's nothing good in me, that there's nothing right about me apart from the grace of God. The need for grace reveals my guilt. The need for grace also reveals my helplessness. For God to give me grace means there was nothing I could do for myself. Absolutely nothing. I can't merit this. I can't earn this. I'm not worthy. I can't point to something and say, well, I did that. That made me worthy of grace. Grace is offensive. And you know, even after you become a Christian, some of you, some of you struggle with, with really experiencing God's forgiveness because you keep falling back into this mode of thinking, I've got to do something to make God happy with me. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And we forget that the only thing you and I have, the only thing we will ever have, is the goodness 
and the salvation provided me in Jesus Christ. It is only his righteousness that saves me. It is only his death for me on the cross for my sins that removes those sins from my life. I couldn't die on the cross. I'd go straight to hell. I would never get out. Jesus dies on the cross, and he raises from the dead. He conquers the very penalty that my sins created called death. He overcomes it. And so all I ever have, all I will ever have, is not what I have done, all my goodness, my works, my accomplishments. Phooey. That's a Greek word. All I ever have is the grace of God. That's all I've got. And if I'm not careful, that can be very offensive and can keep me from experiencing God's grace. Well, God's grace is outrageous, it's unfair, it's offensive. Finally, it's relentless. God's grace is relentless. Look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. God has forgiven the Ninevites. Jonah would rather die than live in a world where Ninevites can be forgiven. I don't even want to be in a world like that. I don't want to be a part of that. God doesn't mind uh, giving me grace because I'm all right, Jonah thinks. Jonah doesn't mind at all when God gives him grace. But he doesn't seem to understand that when he gives grace to the Ninevites, that there's a message there that Jonah needs to understand. God keeps challenging him. He sends a storm. He sends a fish. He sends a revival. God's pursuing Jonah. He's not giving up on Jonah. He will not let go of Jonah. Is he doing that with you today? Is he pursuing you? Constantly trying to show you, I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of compassion. Here's the point. Grace refuses to leave me as I am. You know, we think Jonah, the story of Jonah, is about Nineveh. We think it's about the revival in Nineveh. But the whole story is about one man who didn't understand grace. It's about a man that God had to pursue and run down so that he might begin to understand grace. He was one of God's people. He was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite. But he didn't understand grace. That's why I called this series of studies the wild grace chase. The grace of God is powerful. If you're saved today, the grace of God is working in your life, working to change you. Why does God have this story of Jonah in the Bible? Because it's God pursuing a man who needs to change. He needs to think differently. He needs to have a different kind of a heart. The Apostle Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because, here's his scorecard, I persecuted the church of God. When I look at my life, that's all I see is how I have messed up and the worst things that I have done. And if I had stayed like that, I would still be killing Christians. I'd still be hurting people. I'd still be an enemy of the cross. That's my scorecard, Paul says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. You see, you weren't saved just to go to heaven. God saved you so that you would become like Jesus. God didn't just save you so he could give you grace. He died so you could become a gracious man, a gracious woman, one who knows how to forgive, one who never forgets your scorecard and what God has done for you, and one who is always ready to give grace, always ready to pour out grace on those around you. So God answers Jonah's request this way in verse 4. This is what he says. Jonah says, I want to die. I don't want to live in a world where Ninevites can be saved. I don't want to to be there. Here's what God says. Then the Lord said, is it right? Is it right? Is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? Is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? Haven't you forgotten something, Jonah? Haven't you forgotten what I did for you? Where would you be if I had not sent someone to talk to you? Where would you be if someone had never gone to you and shared the gospel? Where would you be if I never gave grace to you? Really, Jonah? Is it right that you, you, should be angry? He should have understood. He should have gotten it. I pointed it out to you in this prayer in chapter 2. It's almost absurd. I really think that there's a statement being made when it says the fish vomited Jonah out. Absolutely was missing the point in the way he prayed. Here's the bottom line. People who get grace, who understand it, people who get grace, give grace. People who get grace, give grace. They give it. Do you get it? Do you understand what he has done for you? Do you you know that we are all sinners who need grace? Do you know that you need the cross, the blood, the sacrifice for your sins as much as the most God-hating, cruel, bloody terrorist on the planet, that it took the same cross to save on a Paul as it does to save you. When you and I stand before the cross, the ground right there in front of the cross, it's, it's pretty level. If you do get it, then you can't withhold grace like Jonah did. You can't run. You can never say, I won't forgive you. Can't do it. And if you're doing that today with anyone in your life, you don't get grace. You don't understand it. You're as far from the direction that God wants you to go in as Jonah when he was running the opposite way from Nineveh. 
You can never say, I don't forgive you. You can't run away from God's call to the Ninevites in your world, the ones who live around you, the ones in your family, the ones in your town, the ones in your world. Grace is never fair. It wasn't fair when God forgave you. It wasn't fair when he saves anyone. Grace is completely unfair, and I thank God that it is. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you uh, came here today and you had questions about God and your relationship to God, I want to give you an opportunity to turn to him in faith. You need to know that grace is greater than your sin. God's grace is greater than what you have done. I don't care what you've done. If he can, fo- if he can forgive a city full of half-crazed, murdering people like the Ninevites, he can forgive you. And so no one is, has sinned in such a way that it is beyond God's ability to forgive them. His grace is greater than your sin. And you are here today not by accident, but by the eternal purpose of God. People have been praying for you, and if you are struggling when your relationship with God and you have wanted to know Him, I just want you to know that God brought you here this morning so that you can know Christ, so that you can put your trust in Him. And that when you trust Him, He will change your life. That's the nature of grace. Too many times we Christians think that God forgave me, and so now I can just sit down and wait for heaven. But grace is more powerful than that. Grace is more powerful. It doesn't just forgive our sins. It changes our life. It changes who we are. And so you say, I can't come to God because I'm, I'm too mean. I'm too bad. I fail too much. I can't stop the sins that I've committed. I've messed up in too many ways. You say, I can't come to God. You need to understand that you can't change without the grace of God. You can't be a different kind of man without the grace of God. You're going to keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep being who you are unless you come to Christ and you receive him. Jesus died for you on the cross so that he could change you, not just forgive you. And so do you need to be changed today? Do you need a new heart? Do you need a new life? He offers you that. That's the essence of the good news the gospel that we preach. It's the thing being preached today in China where thousands of people a day are coming to put their trust in Christ. It's the thing being preached today in India where there are, you know, in America we have a lot of Baptists. There, there, are, there are almost as many Baptists in India as there are in America. God is saving people, changing people all over the world with this gospel that I'm preaching to you. And he wants to do this in your life. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. We're just here to pray with you, to counsel with you. You say, well, I still got questions. Well, we'll open up the Bible. You can read it for yourself. You don't have to know where the references are. We'll show them to you. And you can read verses like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, which means you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anyone, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We probably won't yell it at you like that. But if you have questions, we'll share God's word with you. And we'll help you understand. Whether you're in the balcony and you need Christ, whether you're down here you need Christ, we're here for you. We're here to help you.
maybe as a brother or sister in Christ, you just need to pray. God's put a burden on your heart for yourself, for someone that you love, someone that you care for, and you need to pray. And so maybe instead of singing, you may just need to bow your head and pray. If it helps you, I invite you to come and kneel at the altar steps. Grab a friend. Come pray together. But use this as a time to fully participate in responding to what God has said to you. Pray with me. Father, we commit this time to you. This is a time where we open up our minds, our hearts, and we want to know individually what it is that you want us to do next. What is the next step? What's the next step that we need to take? And so, Father, for that one who needs to be saved, I pray they would step out of the pew and they would publicly embrace you as their Lord and Savior. For that brother or sister who's got Ninevites in their life and they need to forgive some people, I pray that you would touch their heart, melt their heart with the wonder of the awesome, powerful, mighty grace of God. Drench their minds with the truth. Set them free from the prison of their own scorecard. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in this place. Lead us and guide us as we respond to you. This time is yours. In Jesus' name we pray.